long ago, in a once peaceful land whose name is long since forgotten, but what we now call Nerdia. A dark plague spread, causing devastation for generations. A sonic assault driving the inhabitants of the world sick and mad, some even falling into a state of walking death. But from the darkness rose two shining lights in the form of a dwarvish cleric and a gnomish rogue. The two embarked upon an epic quest to find the one artifact that can save the land, the cure for the darkness, the holy grail of music, the one album to rule them all, the best album ever. Their adventures took them far and wide, and now, in a pub at the edge of the world, these two saviors meet and tell their tales. These are the Chronicles of Nerdia. Welcome to another edition of Chronicles of Nerdia. I'm AJ, and you heard him in the intro, but that's my counterpart, Dan. Yo. And today, we are taking on the 1991 album Pocket Full of Kryptonite by <laughs> Spin Doctors. <laughs> and uh, as always, before we get into that discussion, Dan, what are you drinking Oh, I got uh, something a little bit different today. Uh, once again, trying to go a little, little bit themed here. We're talking about the Spin Doctors, so I picked up Top Spin Ping Pong 2.0. Uh, this is a dry hopped cider, which is uh, a collaboration between Shaxbury and Modern Times. Shaxbury is a cidery, um, and this is dry hopped with Nelson and Salvine hops i'm gonna i'm gonna read this little snippet on the back ready for a rematch yeah ping pong 2 brings the thunder with fresh nelson hops from new zealand served up by our friends at modern times grab your paddle because this dry perfectly hopped cider is coming to play it's a 6.2 percent which is pretty decent for a cider but is the uh, is is the label accurate? Did it come to play? I mean, it's very tasty. I uh, yeah, it is. It's just pretty interesting. It's got like that that cidery tartness, sweetness, but it's like like a dry, you know, kind of. I don't know. Cider's difficult to explain because it all tastes like apples, but. Um, but then like you have like the, the hops kind of giving it a bit of body in there and a bit of citrus and like extra, extra layer of, of flavor. It's pretty neat, pretty nice. And I think this is uh this is a great beer to go with this album because it is just like a happy bubbly, you know, light. There's nothing dense here. It's, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's a nice, it's a nice Saturday afternoon. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. I'm dr uh, so we we like to theme our beers, and I do a horrible job of it. And so I'm gonna try and see if I can somehow create a story about how this is related to the <laughs> album. So I, I went to the doctor uh, recently, and he loves to use fidget spinners, my doctor. And uh, you know, he was he was saying like, "Hey, man, you got to get your health in check. You should uh, you should eat some avocados and maybe have a little bit of tea with honey every day." And uh, so I've got, from my spinner-loving doctor, <laughs> I've got an avocado honey ale from Island Brewing Company. And uh, I've not tried it yet. It looked really interesting. And it's, um, it's actually a weird color. It's like, a, it's like a brownish amber. Like, it almost looks like a brown, but not quite that dark. I don't know. It's interesting. A little bit hazy. Is it like a like a slightly ripe avocado brown? Yeah, you could say that. It's really good. Wow, it's really um, it's really sweet, but not like um, not like a like a how some of the fruit beers are. It's not like sweet like mm -hmm. that. But it, you could definitely taste that honey in it. It's got like a nice richness to it. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's a uh, five point three percent. 
And yeah, you know, doctor's orders. <laughs> I've never, I've never uh, seen avocado beer before. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it says avocado honey. Uh, let me, let me read the the. There is a little blurb here on it. It says, "No avocados were harmed in the brewing of this beer." Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means. I guess they didn't use avocado at all. I mean, this beer is a collaboration between bees, beekeepers, avocado growers, and brewery workers. A combined labor of love resulting in an ale with the taste of sunlight in every sip. Local avocado honey added to the boil creates a uniquely smooth tasting beer with a slightly sweet finish. I think that's actually a really, really good explanation of how it how it is. It is uniquely smooth and it has a slightly sweet finish. That that was pretty accurate. I don't know that I have sunlight in every sip. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I don't know, but beekeepers, avocado brewers, and brewers, that's like, that's a super group if I've ever heard of one. That's the damn Yankees of, of blue-collar workers right there. <laughs> I mean, and bees, man. Bees doing all the actual labor. Right. Anyway, it's good beer. I, I'm also drinking a coffee right now. I'm double fisting. Yeah, I know we talked a little bit earlier. You said you woke up late. I had a yeah. horrible time sleeping, also woke up late, so I'm also drinking some of my classic Don Francisco vanilla bean coffee with a little bit of Coffee Mate vanilla creamer in it. You know, you gotta have it. It's pretty good. Sounds good. I haven't had coffee in weeks. Wait, you haven't? No. What What are you doing wrong? Uh, I'm just not drinking coffee right now. I can't like I can't have coffee without sugar, and I'm cutting out sugar. Oh, gotcha. So. Yeah, it's. It's a delicate balance. Like I used to use a lot more creamer, but now I actually measure it, so I'm only getting one serving, you know. So I can <laughs> actually, yeah. It it sucks. It doesn't taste as good as it used to because I don't like the taste of coffee. I love the taste of sugary cream though. Mm. That sounded weird, but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Uh, you mentioned I think it was the last episode we did. You you told me about a show called Lock and Key, mm-hmm. and I finished it. And it was pretty, pretty good. I I enjoyed it. It was kind of, it's kind of like a teen, I'd say yeah. age for teenagers. So it had a little bit of immaturity in there. But overall, I liked it. I liked the premise. And there was some interesting uh, metamorphosis happening where you might be kissing a lady, but maybe it's not really a lady. It's some weird stuff, man. But it was good. I would, de- I would definitely recommend, like I said last time, uh, if you get the chance, read the comic because the comic is like a next level and it, it is less of like a, a teen uh, aged, you know, kind of story. It's it definitely like, I don't know, it ups it and it's it's crazy and, and pretty like brutal. <laughs> When, and I think I might actually read it because the thing I liked most about it, the only thing I knew was what you had told me, which is basically it's good and it's based on a graphic novel or comic book or something, some sort of picture book. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was hesitant because all of those picture book things, those are usually superheroes, and I was happy that there was no superheroes. No. It, was, it was literally just magic, magic item yeah. does things, and it was very enjoyable because of that. Yeah, and the the book adds a bit more of a horror element, okay. um, and does it like really well. It's written. Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. It's Stephen King's son, and so he he knows his horror and he gets it from you know the best, and and it has a very like Stephen King vibe to it. the The show is more like fantasy whimsy. And uh, the book leans a little bit more. It has all of that fantasy whimsy, but it leans a little bit more into like the horror and like you uh, and sadness. Like it's very grim and like very. Uh, it's it's just mm. all about grief and uh, and how kids deal with grief and uh, and growing up and and all that and using the keys as like metaphors for this. I don't know. It's it's a it's a great comic book. It was a good show for sure. Uh, so outside of that, anything else that you've been been? So, I think I I mentioned on the last episode uh, that I had been listening to Demons and Wizards a lot, mm-hmm. and man, I went down the like Nordic metal rabbit hole uh, because yeah. of that. And so 
Man, I've been listening to uh, Aventasia, which is the Tobias Samet band, and it's it's kind of like every album is like a collaboration of metal artists. With him is like the guy who's on every track, and they're they're every album is basically like a rock opera. And so I've been listening to I think it's called Moonlight, the one of the newer ones. And that was really good, but there's a few names that popped up on it, you know, like the dude from Blind Guardian, whose name I can never remember, um, who's also in Demons and Wizards, that guy. <laughs> and so anyway, it started going down the rabbit hole of, like, fans who like this also like this. And anyway, I, I got onto Jorn Lande, or Lande, I don't know how to say it, it's like a Nordic name, but it's mm-hmm. Jorn, I'm pretty sure the first name is Jorn, but um, he's got an album called... Uh, dracula swing of death and it's him and someone else that wrote it but it's a rock opera about the story of bram stroker's dracula and it is unfucking believable it is so good all the songs get stuck in my head and it's not like when i say like a rock opera or something like that it's very heavy but it's also got like a masquerade ball song in it and it's got some of these other things that are more theatrical in it but it's it's unbelievable. I love his voice. I don't know who the lady is that plays like the the female lead, but it, it's incredible and I could totally see it done as a stage production that would be awesome to watch. Uh, so I, I've been getting really into that and then obviously listening to Jorn's other music that's not rock opera stuff and he's got some really awesome cover albums called Heavy Rock Radio, I think is what it's called. Uh, there's a one and like a volume two, but he does cover songs of songs that influenced him when he was growing up. So he's got like a Hotel California, Don't Stop Believing by Journey and, and all these others might be two of the best cover albums ever. I, I couldn't consciously bring up a cover album in this context for Chronicles of Nerdia, but if we were talking greatest cover song albums ever, I would have to throw him into the mix for the conversation. So that's what I've been listening to primarily. Oh, nice. That sounds really cool. Yeah, just a lot of music outside of Lock and Key. It's just been all music all the time. I've kind of been the opposite. I I haven't been listening to much music outside of what we're listening to for the show. Um, I don't know. I just haven't, like... Like, nothing's, like, struck my fancy anytime I'm, like, I, I, I if I want to listen to something, it'll usually be, like, an audio book right now. I, I don't know. I'm in, like, a weird funk with music. No pun intended. But uh, uh, been watching like a lot of movies, playing a lot of games, but like they're all older games that I've like some I've already beaten, but I'm playing them again on the PC. Uh, but I mentioned audiobooks. I've been reading like a shit ton of books through audiobooks, and uh, I, I came across this sci-fi series that i'm almost done with i'm on the third book it's three it's a trilogy three books long i'm like almost done with the third book and i like started it earlier this week um i started book one earlier this week and it's it's called the Bobaverse. the first book's called we are legion we are bob and it's really great like it's really it, it has a like a standard plot that that is like it sounds cliche for a sci-fi story where it's like a uh, a dude in the the modern time he's like a computer engineer sells his company for like a shit ton of money immediately signs up for this process that'll preserve his consciousness into like a computer and you know wake him up in the future when technology gets there he immediately dies and gets woken up like a hundred some odd years later as a computer it is like essentially put into a probe and launched into space to go explore. But then like partway through the first book, it takes like this little bit of a twist and it's, it's slight spoilery, but like to me, this is the part that hooked me in and got me going like, Oh, this is interesting. But he starts just like cloning himself because like, that's part of the thing is like, you get to a certain point, like part of his mission is you get to a certain point in space you clone yourself and you send those probes out. So it's like, you know, a big net that they're looking for, habitable places to live essentially but things happen along the way the story progresses but what's really cool is it's like a like a sci-fi story or a fantasy story where you get different character perspectives you're getting different characters perspectives of the same character just like copied the, the different clones perspectives <laughs> right right 
Okay. And uh, and and each one has its own little personality. And uh, it's and the it's, movie multiplicity. Exactly. It's a little bit multiplicity, a little bit Futurama. It's written with like this great humor and like it's it's first person, but it's first person of a person who was 29 in 2016, whenever uh, the the you know it, the start of the book takes place. And so it's he's making a lot of references that like nerds will get. Um, the book is just full of humor, full of like character, and uh, and it slowly builds like this great little like sci-fi universe. And it's really fun. Like I. Uh, I haven't read too much like modern sci-fi. I'm very used to like classic dry sci-fi and this was just like something really refreshing and really fun to read and I just like blazed through the series. Well, as you were explaining it, it it had elements of like one of my favorite authors and book series, but Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide. It's a and... little bit Douglas Adams, not as um like absurd <laughs> as he can mm-hmm. get. But it's it has a little bit of that in there. You can definitely see the influences. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds interesting. What what was the series called again? It's called the Bobaverse. The Bobaverse, okay. The first book is called We Are Legion, and then parenthetical, We Are Bob. <laughs> parenthetical, We Are Bob. Yes. I like it. I like it. I'm, I might have to check that out. I've been looking for a nice, fun book to read. I've been reading just too many nonfiction books. And then I always tend to lean towards uh, historical fiction dramatic books recently. I don't know what it is. I I like history, and I think when you tie a book into real history, it it becomes really cool. Yeah. Uh, But I did want to bring up one other thing that I did when you asked me. Anything else, AJ? So I've been playing the game GTFO. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm about to buy you a copy of it just so we can play it. But um, this game is ridiculously good and difficult that was the thing i've been i've been because you've been you know asking me about it if i've if i've checked it out yet and i'm hesitant to and i'm i was doing a little bit more research on it and it's like on the game page on steam it flat out says like this game is hard like do not buy this game if you cannot handle it like you will need friends to play this game yeah <laughs> yeah like very much is like cautioning you right up front of like this is going to be difficult you're going to need people to play it and like you have to be in that state of mind and that kind of is tempting me because like I like challenging games and I'm not huge on uh on multiplayer but if I have if you're playing it if you have people who are playing it oh, like we I... have we have a group of 3 we need one more person to complete the four stack that we need but I'll I'll tell you this man it is hard and there's okay so the the basic premise, this doesn't spoil anything as far as I know because uh, there's no real storyline at the moment. Like the game's still being built and, and all that, but you're basically your prisoners and something has happened and the warden of the prison, because you're expendable, he's sending you to go investigate and collect evidence of this stuff, right? This outbreak. Mm-hmm. The levels play very much like parts of The Last of Us, like they're the clickers, they're, they're like those are like the main like think of the clickers in that game that's mm-hmm. kind of what the main mini uh normal like things are in this game that you have to avoid or take down but then there's like other you know there's like giants there's what's called like a queen there's what's called a scout and they these different like monsters do different things but anyway so the first level is called a1 it's like the uh you know, the top level of this multi-level structure, right? It took us maybe two days, three days, and we played like a few hours at a time to get past A1. And ultimately, it was some guy we randomly found. uh, You know, I posted like, hey, looking for one more in the GTFO Discord, and some random guy who knew how, like, knew what the fuck he was doing joined us, helped us get through A1, and then kind of like taught us, you know, what we were doing. Anyway, so then that unlocks B1 and B2. B1 took us about a week to beat. B2, we've played maybe a hundred times, and we still haven't beaten it. And there's then there's C1, C2, and D1, I believe. But the thing is, is like when the game, uh, as the weeks move and months move on, those like maps change, and each like level. So A1 has a different strategy than B1 in terms of how you want to approach it. 
B1 has a different strategy than B2 in terms of how you want to approach it. C1, I hear, you get lots of ammo. And that sounds really fun because ammo is a fucking nightmare to find. And so you want to conserve your ammo and things. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent because I love this game. But it is the hardest game I've ever played in a long time, if if not ever. It sounds a little bit like Left 4 Dead on crack. Maybe, but but there's... There, there's no incentive to run and gun in this game. Exactly. That's an, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. It's it's like where where, I guess not crack is the word. Where Left for Dead is this version on crack, where yeah. uh, you just want to like mow zombies down, and this seems like it's very very paced very differently, but like still has the same feeling of like getting together with four friends and more of a uh, is it stealth based. It's yeah. You you want to play stealth. Um, so okay. it's like the the different creatures respond to sound and light, and so there there's times where you feel like you're playing red light green light. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, is the way that Steph explains it, and it, it's hard hard to hard to explain how intense it can be, but how rewarding it is. Like when we beat a one. I, like, legit jumped up and fist-bumped and was like, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And then we've beaten, like, B1 we beat with just three people. And so that's why we want a fourth, is we think that we can beat B2, but we're we're missing an an additional, like, crossfire, you know? Because you get, like, different items, like turrets and things. Anyway, I don't want to go too far in the rabbit hole on this, because I could talk all day. Yeah, well, you you may have uh, started convincing me. It's so. it's fun. It's fun. You got to get that game, and that might be one that I'll I'll jump back onto our Twitch and stream. You know, just because of how intense it is. Like I can't tell you how my heart beats at times, and nothing's happening. Legit, nothing ha- nothing <laughs> happening in the game, and I'm worried that there might be something that's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very like like that's the feeling I get with Dark Souls, or uh, a game similar to Dark Souls, where it's just like I'm. <laughs> just getting through it is is a high tense situation that's great yeah absolutely uh but other than that you know that's that's basically the the only stuff i've been doing music lock and key i mean a mass singer too i watch mass singer and uh oh and the lego masters show awesome <sighs> i've been wanting to watch it we got rid of cable so do you have Hulu? I don't... Yeah, is it on Hulu? Yeah, you should be able to see it. Okay, I'm going to watch it. Because I I just heard, I was just listening to a podcast. I was going through like the history of Lego and they were mentioning this show. And I was like, this exists. Oh, it's so good. Will Arnett is the host. And I swear to God, if he wasn't already famous and in the Lego movies as a voice actor and all that, I, I would take his job. This is the show I was made to host because you can be just enough of an asshole that you can be funny. Uh, but then, like, at times, he's, like, really good at being, like, empathetic because these people really give a fuck about Legos. I don't know I've ever seen people, like, outside of kids, children, and and me when the Millennium Falcon I, I, I built, uh, my daughter destroyed. Uh, I've never seen people cry over Legos. And every episode, someone's crying over Legos. Yeah. And it's, that... it's amazing. But the, what they build is fucking incredible. Like, it blows my mind. Yeah, I just, like, through this podcast, or I didn't just realize, like, I knew there was a large adult audience for Legos and, like, collectors and whatnot, but I didn't realize how, like, competitive it got, and apparently there's, like, like Lego hires people to be, you know, uh, master Lego builders, and there's, like, some other tier of it, but, like, there's only, like, 12 of them in the world, or, like, 42 of, like, this other kind, so it's, like, a very, very competitive market, apparently, but uh, but they're called Awfuls, adult fans of Lego. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, we, we started um, – why? so the kids love the show, and so we watch it with them. And I was like, you know what? They, they've been playing Legos real well together. They built like uh, two, three sets together recently, mm-hmm. like small sets, and they, they never do that. Like they always they, – they cannot like take direction together. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not going to listen to her. That's my sister. Really? I'm not going to listen to him. That's my brother. But when they're playing Legos, man, they don't care. They're just like, yeah, we got an objective. We kind of yeah. have a map, a blueprint. And so we, when we watch the show, whatever the uh, the challenge is, is I give them a mini challenge just like it. Like one they can complete in the hour we watch the show. Mm-hmm. Whereas those people get like, I think sometimes 11 hours for their builds, you know. 
so I give them like a mini one that they can do within the hour. But it it got us to like we went to Costco and Costco has like fifteen hundred piece like random assortment of Legos. Yeah, the bucket. Oh yeah, yeah, basically the bucket, but it's in a box. We had to buy our own bucket, unfortunately. Costco. Uh, but we bought two of those big boxes, so we just bought 3,000 Legos so that we can start building some stuff together. You know, it comes with wheels and all that. The only stuff it doesn't come with is, like, the uh, robotic side of Legos. But, you know. Anyway, it's been real fun. I don't want to get into a whole Lego conversation. That sounds a lot of fun. But on the on the topic of um, uh, playing games together, I guess uh, – one thing, China and I, last weekend, we were looking for, like, a board game to play. And, like, I wanted, like, like something that wasn't, like, a Parker's Brothers game. Like, I wanted, like, I don't know, an adult board game. And it's difficult to find one, especially just for, like, two people. And uh, and I'm a big Lovecraft fan. Been le- reading a lot more Lovecraft lately. And uh, we found this game. It's called Arkham Horror, but it's, like the card game version i guess there's a board game version and a card game version we got the card game version and it's really interesting it's like uh it's like playing like a like a card game like magic the gathering or whatnot but it's cooperative and you go through like it's very difficult to explain because i didn't even get it until i like watched a video of like a tutorial but you like you build a deck for like you're each an investigator. You build a deck um, that has, like, your abilities that you're going to draw throughout it. And then there's, like, room cards that your characters are at. And there's challenges that happen. And there's, like, you have to, like, gather clue. And then enemies spawn. You have to fight the enemies. But it's, like, a cooperative card game. So you're not, like, being competitive the whole time. You're kind of, like, working together to get to this goal. But uh, you also have, like, a life and a sanity. And if those go out then like your character could die but the story will go on like you play through scenarios within a campaign so it's almost like a D session it's the it's i've never played anything like it i'm really interested in it now because it like it mixes something like a uh, a trading card game with D with like a board game and it's it's really interesting we've only played it like a couple times because we only have so many nights when we can uh like hang out for an hour <laughs> together um but it's fun and i'm definitely like getting more interested in it i'm interested in uh kind of more board games for us to play yeah no that one sounds fun i haven't played a board game in a long time uh the last one i played was uh i was out in vegas at my buddy's house and he had one called like zombies or some shit like that zombie apocalypse but it was one it was a card game in a sense where you each got random cards but the cards were tiles that you would set down to build a map Mm -hmm. and then like depending on a different card you would draw it would determine how many zombies were on that grid space and it was it was pretty cool so uh, that was the first time I had played a game like that, and I was like, man, there's a lot of cool games out there that I've never heard of, because all the games yeah. that I played growing up were like Candyland, like right. actual like square board games, versus like card games with all these different like functions. And they get in-depth. They get like really in-depth, and like there's like huge communities for all this stuff. So yeah, it's it's neat. It's something new, and I'm, I'm interested. It's neato. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, transitioning into the album at hand, the 1991 album by the Spin Doctors, Pocket Full of Kryptonite. Give me, give me your background with this. Mine, mine's a little uh, ah. interesting. This one, like, this is an album that like goes back for me. Like, it's really nostalgic. Uh, it's something that I just remember listening to in the car with like my mom and my brothers, like when I was really young. It must have been around when it came out, 91, 92. The, like, the, the what time is it? You know, 4.30, that just, like, became a saying around my house. Like, ever, like, while growing up, like, anytime someone asks, like, what time is it? Like, somebody smart-ass, like, remarks, like, 4.30. Hearing po- the, the line pocket full of kryptonite was the first time I had heard the word kryptonite. I remember specifically asking my brothers, what is kryptonite? And them giving me like a weird answer that wasn't what, wasn't what kryptonite is, but that was like what kind of started my like 
interest of like what's kryptonite okay it's related to superman what's superman oh and like I don't know, almost maybe this was the like little seeds that started my love of comic books. It was probably more uh, the Batman cartoon show. But this was, you know, my first hearing of crypt, uh, Pocketful of Kryptonite. And then, like, Two Princes uh, was, like, a song that I don't remember never hearing. <laughs> and, uh, and then, like, it goes away for, like, a... I, it kind of like went out of, of, of the zeitgeist for a long time and then recently is like brought up again and I have like these extreme fond memories of it but uh, it, this I guess th- this band and this album in general kind of has a little bit of like a stigma it, uh, in the modern eye of being like extremely 90s extremely uh, whatever you want to call this genre jammy funk rock like that that blues travelers kind of thing and blues travelers actually has a really interesting connection to the band but yeah like it kind of it kind of gets a little uh, uh poked fun of but i just see it as like it's fun it's uh it doesn't take itself seriously it's just kind of like a great little like slice of americana of like a a time and decade and i think it like even though it came out early 90s and 91 i think it perfectly like encapsulates like that era of music and like what was kind of happening and uh yeah i don't know i really like it it I, I remember being in high school and like pulling it out again and being like yeah i remember this album and listening to it and still like then enjoying it as a teenager the way that and it could all be tied to nostalgia because like it's always been in my life but I don't know. This is just like a, a fun, positive. It gives me positive vibes. We've been on that kind of kick of like, well, Demon Days, I say, would be more, a bit more melancholy, but we've had like a lot of these albums of like positive vibes, kind of catchy riffs with like catchy choruses. Uh, this one gets a little bit jammy, which I like. There's some songs that like remind me of Fish, so it kind of it gets me there. But it's like I don't know. It's a it's it's a granola, grass fed, hippie like '90s weird funk. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's it's a fun album and I love it. Yeah, I I don't remember ever listening to this album cover to cover before you picked it, but I knew a handful of songs off of this particular album. I knew uh, what. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Mm-hmm. I knew Two Princes and what was the... the uh, I don't know, there's another one. But um, what's interesting is I didn't know they were the same band, <laughs> let alone the same album, because th- this this album has... I think you, you mentioned Blues Traveler, Blues Traveler, and that's probably who I was trying to think of when I was listening to this, because I'm like, man, this reminds me of something. And I think it's probably Blues Traveler, because I was a pretty big fan of them. But it is. It's like blues, alternative rock, country. Yeah, it's got like folk and funk. and Yeah, it's got elements of, of all these things. And even song to song, I mean, you, you can tell it's the same band when you're listening but the style is so different sometimes, song to song. There's one that starts off kind of country music, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, whoa! Like I could have, I I could see that is a is a hit on, you know, a country music station. Whereas another one, I'm like, well, I could see that on like a rock sta- alter- alternative rock station getting like some airplay. You said it, you know, it's early '90s. It encapsulates that that era. I think we talked about it before, but kind of for you and I anyway, and maybe our bias growing up in the 90s, but it had so many different identities within the genres. It like it really feel like the genres were splitting. So like while this, I would consider it like alternative rock, mm. you know, as an album, it sounds nothing like the other alternative rock bands that might come up, like or the, the, the ones that definitely came up in the 90s for sure, like Third Eye Blind. Doesn't right. sound anything like that, or Matchbox Twenty, or whatever Vertical Horizon. You know, the, the in the alternative genre, and then in the rock space, you know, it definitely doesn't sound anything like grunge, 
which no. was popular. It doesn't I mean, sound I anything think... like the '90s, you know, heavy metal. So it's like it's it's really weird this album, but it, it does kind of have elements from a few different things that were were going on at the time. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's taking you can see all the inspiration from like stuff before it, and then you can see like where. Oh, I guess. <laughs> the sad part is like you don't have too much music like this anymore maybe like a dave matthews band is something like, like i'm thinking like those college kind of like jam bands that like might have uh, uh taken where this this band and like bands like it were at the time you don't see too many similar bands in today's music well you don't see a lot in today's music but uh uh, an, an interesting thing we've mentioned blues Traveler before john popper uh the lead singer and harmonicist uh, of, sure. blues, <laughs> of blues traveler <laughs> was in the band in the early days him and uh lead singer bear chris baron uh were roommates and we you know, were in bands and they would play together and they were kind of like in this band together. And John Popper went and did Blues Travelers. But he, uh, the last song on the album, Shinbone Alley slash Hard to Exist, is written, co-written by John Popper. And, and you get that harmonica in here, which I, I love. Damn it, there was something that was on my mind and I can't remember what it was I wanted to mention. But I think even if you break this down like track by track and, and it's... Every I see every track as like solid in its own way, and and to me it's not really skippable. I think it's digestible. It's like 50 minutes, but it just like is well paced. And this is weird because it's not like most of the albums that we've covered, where it's like a concept album or has like a running theme. This is more or less a collection of songs. I think you can see a theme like lyrically, but it's all very bass. Like, there's not much depth to the lyrics in most of these songs, and a lot of them are like about, are are what we would by today's standards call like emo songs. Like it's about like not getting the girl, or um, or how annoying the old girlfriend was, or why do you love somebody else and not me? It's like, it's all kind of like these themes, but I think there is like a little bit of sprinkling of like politics, maybe. Uh, <laughs> in some things i i would say that it, it feels like a mixture of like at times it's a little bit almost like someone complaining like you said emo and i would call that in in context of this album it's the more blues traditional blues side of it but then it does mix in that alternative side that we were talking about which is singing about the girl and and you know love lost but at the right. same time there's this the, there's there's songs about how it's not a bad thing that that person's gone anymore mm -hmm. you know but then of course he's just talking about all the bad things anyway you know but uh but yeah i know i i agree completely i i really really enjoyed the thematics and one of the things that you did say when you picked the album is you said that i might have a problem with uh, where they don't put words in place. Yes, it's very. I believe the term is scatological, is it's very full of scat. Like there's a lot of scatting happening. <laughs> there's a lot there of. There was a lot of scat on this. Uh, so I actually didn't have a problem with it. I I thought that the way that they did it most of the time didn't feel like it was cheap and they were just putting la-la-las in, right, or whatever. Because it was very rhythmic and it was, like, changing pitch and tone and it, it was his voice as an instrument. Exactly, exactly. Versus and, just saying la-la-la, you know. And now now I remember what I wanted to bring up is the the vocals. The vocalist, uh, Chris Barron, I think he's great and i think he was at the time uh an extremely underrated vocalist but also was never really never really had too much time to like to to to, to de develop because well i guess he had eight years from the, from this album to uh by the time his vocal cords went out he uh he woke up one morning and he had like vocal paralysis and was barely able to talk let alone sing and that's what kind of led to like the band to stop making music for a long time um and eventually got his voice back and they then would go on to make other albums which i haven't listened to you said uh 
that you really enjoyed the the most recent one and i've been wanting to go and listen to it because it sounds just the title sounds up my alley but uh i, I haven't had time to to check it out yet but what did you think about that yeah i think it was their 2013 album i don't know if it's their most recent or not uh, to be honest with you but uh, 2013 album was incredible. Uh, I think the biggest difference I noticed was the the quality and the musicianship uh, across the board. And I mean, you you think this other album came out in 1991. This album came out in 2013. Mm. It's goddamn like 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that things would improve, and and yeah. so I I I think that they did. And don't get me wrong. It's got a different feel. It's got a different, you know, they're not the same album. And that's a good thing. I enjoy this one, this uh, Pocket Full of Kryptonite, a little bit differently than I enjoy the other one. But I think the other one overall just as an album, you know, those those little things like production quality matter. And little things like a lick here and there that, that just, you know, get stuck in your head, you know, I you know stuff like that. But they're both good. They're both good, and I enjoyed this album a lot. Now, I wanted to, to get into that first track, though, Jimmy Olsen's Blues. So I actually didn't know that this was about Superman, necessarily. I had a feeling, because Kryptonite, I've only heard ever from Superman, and it even talks about Lois Lane and things like that. And so I had an idea, but I was just like, I didn't know who Jimmy Olsen was. Oh. And so I'm like, okay, is Jimmy Olsen a guy in the band? I didn't know the <laughs> band members' names. And I'm like, is this a guy who's like reading the comics, falling in love with her? Uh, is is did he watch low you know the the old Superman show and fall in love with it there is it like a thing about the actress from back in the day I didn't know all I can think of is the only person who would have a pocket full of kryptonite is someone that wants to hurt Superman so I thought this was a, a villain song I thought Jimmy Olsen was a villain <laughs> and and it turns out I don't know if it is a villain or not but Jimmy Olsen apparently is like a newsboy who who's just in love with her or something Superman's Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen he's a he's the photographer at the Daily Planet and he's like young kid who's best pals with Superman and this is just this is just a song of like because there was never I don't believe there's ever really a, a romantic interest between jimmy olsen and lois lane but this is like uh looking at it from the perspective of the average joe who has to compete with somebody like superman and it's like it's you know using it as a metaphor of we've we've all been there unless you're some kind of a uh asshole uh, <laughs> which where, i might be uh well you know like you, the the girl likes the prettier handsomer like athletic guy and you're just like the schmo to the side but you're like like no like i can i can beat him up because i got a pocket full of kryptonite like i know his weakness well so then when i found out who jimmy olsen was i was trying to interpret pocket full of kryptonite and what you just said did not pop into my head what popped into my head was like when someone's like no, it's not a roll of quarters in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought maybe he was saying, like, like Lois was like, hey. What's that in your pocket? And he was like, pocket full of kryptonite, you know, wink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like maybe that's Superman's downfall is his kryptonite. M maybe. And just gotta, just... <laughs> so that's where my brain went. Uh, clearly, I, I, I'm probably wrong. You know, you could be. I uh, we we discussed this on the Cake album of you know different interpretations for songs, and there's no there's no wrong answer, right? I mean, he's a shower, not a grower. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Question is, what kind is it? Green kryptonite, is it silver kryptonite, is it red kryptonite? I'll tell you what the real uh, question is. So, what time is it? Four thirty. Uh, this is a song that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this is where, like, I see, like, a little bit of, like, a political spin, if you will, happening, because um, it, it does, like, feel like they're, like, uh, they're talking a little bit, like, politics here, but just, like, weird, because it's 1991, it's post-election, uh, I guess this would be, like, right in between an election season, um, and so, like, I could see, like, a frustration going on there, but also, I'm not sure, like, are we talking about... Is this a 420 reference? Like, I can't tell. 
No, it's a 4.30 reference. Right. But it's, it's like, are we late? No, 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 no. We're so early. Because, like, who cares? We don't have to do this at 4.20. We can do this anytime around 4.20. We can do this anytime we want. This is def- definitely political, I, I do think. I don't think it's 4.20 reference at all. Well, Personally. you never know. Uh, no, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I would I, call that. I would call this, though... Tell me if you think this is this hits the mark or not. I would say that this is the song that explains the name of the band. Absolutely, yeah. yeah Where yeah. everything is being spun, and they even have that that line: "Use a little English to doctor the spin," and they're the spin doctors. They're the yep. ones who are who are taking the thing that everybody saw and making it out to be something different than what it is. And so I I, I found this is like. Oh, okay. This is this is explaining the name of uh, of your band here. This little band you got going. Yeah, and it's the first where Jimmy Olsen's Jimmy Olsen's blues is very bluesy. Uh, it has like a very blues riff. This one starts off very funky with like that, and it uh and it and it keeps that kind of groove going. So it's showing you know another aspect to them. Like they're they're a little bit bluesy. They're a little bit funky. And then, like, I think the next song shows, like, a little bit more of that country, folk, alternative kind of blend. And you, and it's slowly, like, the album is, like, slowly, like, peeling off the layers and, like, showing, like, what we can do. And then you, uh, you get into, like, you know, the later tracks, which kind of blend them all together. When, and one thing I didn't mention about Jimmy Olsen's blues is that, when I'm going from, like, what I was telling you about, I was listening to a lot of that Nordic metal and stuff, and then I'd switch to this. It's a, it's real. I don't know if you do that often, if you switch from, like, one style music to, like, mm-hmm. something else. Sometimes it's like, oh, God, I'm, I don't, I'm not in the mood for this, or, like, this yeah. isn't resonating. But Jimmy Olsen's blues has, like, a really nice mix. And, and it comes in with that guitar riff that kind of hooks you right away and kind of gives you a feel for what the entire album's going to be. And for me, that's an iconic riff. Yeah, for for me, it wasn't. But every time I turn on the album, like, that's the first thing I hear. And it kind of is going to sound weird because it's not as heavy as this other music. But because metal has a lot of blues and a lot of, like, Celtic or, you know, at least the Nordic stuff, some Celtic sound and all that, it's got, like, folky sound anyway. And so going from that to this, it, it felt more natural than I feel like it should have. But it kind of sets the stage for what you're about to listen to. And then when it, it does get to um, what time is it, like you mentioned, it's a little bit more funk. Not my favorite track because I don't really like funk a lot. But, the the I mean, it works and I don't ever skip it. But then I think what's cool is is when it leads into the third track, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, which I think was the first single off of this, if I remember correct. At least uh, that, that's my understanding. But... I, know, I know this and Two Princes were the two singles i don't know which one was the first yeah i guess it was this one but um when it gets to little miss can't be wrong you do get that little country sound but it's still got that alternative sound in it and that alternative rock sound and so it kind of takes you on this weird little journey from blues to funk to folk bff i call it so while we're talking about little miss can't be wrong like one thing I, i i like about this song is the lyrics because this tells like a, a fun little story of of that person that you know like I don't want to uh, uh, assume that everyone's experiences are the same as mine, but like we we all kind of like know that person that we're with and just like is relentless about <laughs> like being wrong all the time or um, I don't know that 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 tossed that toxic person in your life that like at the time you think uh is is wonderful and like isn't wrong um but then like you look back and realize like oh like that i wasn't healthy for me to be around them and uh and i think it's a good thing that we're not together anymore um i think like the the lyric is it's been a whole lot easier since bitch has been gone (laughs) i i feel like i've been on both sides of this where uh it's probably been better for people when i've been gone and then there have been scenarios where it's been better for me that someone else was gone. So that, this resonated with me in a lot of ways. I like the song. It's good. Yeah, and it's incredibly catchy. I think that's one thing that they 
do really great is just like make these like catchy little riffs and catchy little like hooks to the songs that uh that kind of earworm into your head and stick with you so as we progress through this album you get like 40 or 50 which like slows things down kind of more of a not ballad but i guess like blues inspired kind of just like it's a slower song i don't know not too much to say there refrigerator car i like a lot more she knows i think there's something i wanted to say about that song actually i want to step back and and go to refrigerator car because i think that's the song that i like a bit more this song opens with the classic or not say classic but a a drum rift and you get like you you get a a good examination of the drums here and i i do want to point out the drum work on the album i think they have like a very distinct sound to their drums especially between this and like when you hear two princes i think those are like the two pieces of of drum performance that stick out to me the most and i don't know like there's like a way that like the snares are set the way that the toms are like toned to it just it gives like this like a not like bombastic sound but it's like this like little pop to the drums that uh i think is like very distinctually like their sound and it's it's not often that you hear like a distinct drum sound but i i I definitely get that out of spin doctors yeah it it sounds like they're in a room that has like uh almost like an echo like they're in uh what like bare bare naked ladies used to do what was called their like bathroom sessions they would just yes. sit in a bathroom and it's kind of got that feel where you kind of get an echo of uh, like i don't maybe not even an echo but you can hear it you can hear the sound bouncing in the room is what it sounds like i think that was also like with blink 182 when they record their first album they had to like the drummer had to set up in the bathroom because he didn't like the way that uh that the the acoustic sounded like that was the best place that it sounded was in the bathroom yeah yeah and then the other thing about refrigerator car is the guitar riff is really good at the beginning you know it i really like it and that it hooks me into that song and it comes in just slightly after the drums start you know so the drums kind of give it that you're in some sort of acoustic room you know yeah and then and then you get the guitar that's kind of you know a little bit crunchy yeah, I was about to say, like, this actually, we mentioned, like, it wasn't quite grunge, but I think this is the song that has a bit of that grunge influence to it. And so it's kind of like borrowing a little bit of that because it is a bit more crunchy, a bit more dirtier than the the guitar work on, on the other songs. And it has, like, a 90s guitar riff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's, like, a heavy riff, but it you can hear, like, it's a crunchy guitar and it's got this kind of riff that... That's a, like a little staccato at first, but there's some like slurs in there, some guitar slides and stuff. And I don't know, it's really cool. I enjoy it. And then we we get to the song uh, "More Than She Knows," which this is probably my first big criticism, but uh, it's an enjoyable song, but a forgettable song. Yeah, it's also the shortest song on the album. It's kind of stuck right in the middle. To me, it sounds. <laughs> It sounds like a, a a song that would be like the opening to a '90s sitcom, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's weird. Like it has like it has a nice catchy riff. It has like a repetitive lyrics, and it's just like, yeah. This I this is like the probably the weakest song on the album, honestly. But it leads to what I think is like the uh, the crown jewel. No, not necessarily, but like the the what I consider the most well-known and also uh, maybe the most criticized song on the album, Two Princes. But uh, this is the song that like my, my nostalgia memories like revolve around this. Like this is like a song that my mom still sings. My mom's like not a huge like music person, but she knows this song and, uh, and will like (laughs) sing it randomly. But I think it's, I think it's fun. It's got like a really, once again iconic riff to me using his his voice as an instrument like you get that a lot in there really great guitar work i think like this is where just like everything kind of comes together is with two princes (laughs) (laughs) that'll get stuck in your head like what are the other words i don't know but that'll get stuck in your head this is the one where i was like oh i fucking know this band that's right like before on 
on uh, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, I was like, oh, I remember this song. But then it, you know, this song comes up and I'm like, oh, yeah, Spin Doc. Okay, Spin Doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. right. And, you know, this song used to bother me when I was a little bit younger because it was so popular and it was everywhere. And then, like you said, like kind of it went away and then it came back, but maybe not in as full force. But this song is still really good. I, I mean, I really don't like poppy, catchy songs very much in general. But this one I don't get sick of, you know. I could play this one every day and Yeah. You know. It it doesn't overstay its you know, visit. It's uh yeah, you you kinda said it right where like you don't really get sick. It is extremely poppy, it is extremely catchy, and it is something that like you should get sick of really fast, but when you hear it you you just wanna sing along and dance to it. Well, even the repetitiveness, like, towards the end of the song, where it's just going through the chorus, you know, if you want to call me baby, just go ahead now, blah, blah, blah. It repeats, like, four times in a row, the (laughs) chorus. And I don't get sick of it. And generally, I do when things repeat. That's a huge criticism I generally have. But in this one, it's not a criticism because everything just kind of goes together so well. You could just have a song with this chorus, and I'd be like, you know what? It works. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a gem on the album, I will say, uh, uh, a r- royal gem, if you will. And I know, like, we're not like spending too much time on it. But I don't think there's too much that needs to be said. Like, it's just it's a. Uh... But if you want to talk for hours, just go ahead now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but finishing up the album, last three tracks, off my mind is. It brings back a bit more that I think it's the most bluesy, actually. Like, it has, like, that uh, garage band blues. Like, this is, like, a good song. Like, as you're, like, walking into, like, a, a bar in New Orleans and you hear this song playing, like, it's a, it is where it kind of, like, puts my image in there. Um, I'm, it doesn't even sound like the same vocalist. Like, I'm not sure if it is. I, I <laughs> But it, it's his vocals sound completely different on this song. This is the song that makes me start thinking of, like, legit Blues Traveler could have made this song. Or, like, uh, Blues Brothers. Like, it yes, reminds me yes. of that, you know? It's it's just a fun kind of bluesy song. And it's, it's like, I, I want to get up and dance when I hear this song. I'll be honest, I don't even know the words to it. Because the music makes me want to move. And I'm like, I don't care what the words are. Throw them away. Yeah, it's got, like, a little bit, uh, a little bit of like grittiness almost like the the vocal range is a bit more like gruffer but it just like has like a good like funk like groove to it like yeah it's 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 nice it's really good but uh and then you move on to the next song which i i think is just an absolutely beautiful song like you get that acoustic guitar that picking the finger picking coming in sounds almost like a uh what's his name Uh, around the same era um crap i'm blanking on a name but it, or like like almost like a sister hazel song mm, yeah i could hear sister hazel it's i think it might be a 12 string guitar that he's playing because there's like harmonics at the beginning that makes me think either two guitars or 12 string guitar yeah but it's it's really good it reminds me of some of the stuff that like stevie ray vaughn did with uh acoustic guitar i'm not saying it's it's got the same guitar work but like the sound it's like Stevie Ray Vaughan playing a 12-string guitar. Mm-hmm. That's kind of – it's got the similar sound. But the, I, this is the other song that I couldn't remember at the top of the, the discussion where I knew songs off this album. I knew this one and didn't know it was this band. Like I never would have guessed that this song was the same band that did Two Princes. Yes. Yeah. It, it's – they – this is like the fun thing with a, a first release from an, from a band – is like you get years of them like songwriting and like that they finally get to put together on an album and this is definitely them like showing like we have range we can do these you know these these funky songs we can do these uh, bluesy songs we can do these jammy songs we can also do like these really just like beautiful heartfelt uh slower songs that are also like just like have I don't know, an odd set of like depth to it. Like it's it's a really just yeah, beautiful song. 
I don't have much else to say. Well, the good thing is that you don't need to say much more because I want to get to the, the, the last track on the album, which I don't know how you feel, but this is the best track on the album. I love this song, and I didn't even, like... It was upon listening to it for this podcast that I like finally kind of like uh, understood this album. That I really like got to like uh, appreciate this album or this song for what it is, and it's it's really great. This is extremely fishy. It's you know a medley of like these two songs, but it blends so well. And you, this is a, this is the song that I would want to see live the most. This is the if if someone were, was going to ask me the question. How could you get someone to listen to this album? This is the track I would give them as like the thing to get them into the rest of the album. But you mentioned like it you want to see it live. I actually think when I look at the track list and the way that it's presented on the album, it is a perfect set list for the album because you you start with a track that hooks you. You go through mm-hmm. these like the these different uh personalities throughout and then you end on the best one the encore track you know right. the, the one that you want everybody to to remember when they leave you want them walking out of the the whatever venue with with the feel of this song in their mind and like it's it's perfect for a set list right there if you just did a night with spin doctors and played this cover to cover you couldn't put the tracks in a better order i think that's that's a great point. The we've talked about that in the past too. The like construction of the album, the track order, uh, the kind of the flow you get, the story that's being told musically, and like yeah, it's this is absolutely great. It's like the pacing of it. Like all songs are relatively around the same length, and it, and it does like set up that like it hits you off with that big track at the front that catches you in it hooks you in it's showing a little bit of its character it's got like that big song and then it'll it slowly kind of the the bell curve kind of goes down and then you get to like this song which is like our the big the finale you know like the big uh the big explosion at the end um and it's yeah it works perfectly great it's a, a great set list and this song specifically just like the way I don't know. It has everything, everything that they have displayed so far of like what they can do. It kind of like shoves it all into like one slash two songs and, and strings them together in such a great way. And why I say like I want to hear it live is because like I feel like there's so much in there where I'm sure that they would just like jam and like uh, improv and like expand on. And so I, I would love to see them just like in their environment playing this and not like for a studio album. Yeah. So with that said, what say you, Dan? Is this the greatest album ever, potentially? It's always a difficult question because I overthink it. And I have to think about, like, what does the greatest mean? Like, is this the greatest album? Um, I think, yeah, this is one of the greatest albums ever made, at least to me. So if I were to throw the question back at myself... I would answer thusly. I I think there's a single track that I I don't skip, but I think that if you removed it from the album, it would also be okay. But that said, I had a hard time not listening to this album cover to cover. I really did. And so I'm going to say for the alternative rock category, this might be the best album ever. oh wow was not expecting that i know i had to try my best to, to to surprise you and so i am at the moment unfortunately i can't find the the black erasable marker but on my <laughs> whiteboard which has the ivy tap ring of fame i'm adding a number three we have volition by protest the hero we have the wall by pink floyd and we now have in pink we have number three. We have Pocketful of Kryptonite by Spin Doctors. Wow. Was not expecting it. But I'm so happy because, like, this is... I thought this whole album was going to be, like, fueled off of nostalgia for me because I have, like, a huge nostalgia for it. And it just, like, it just warms me up when I listen to it. And I was not expecting you to have a, a, a response like that. So that's really cool. Uh, but we're not quite 
done yet. I mean, as always, you know, you finish one album, it's like Hydra, another album or two pop up. And after quest level 19, this quest, we oh, have man. quest 20, which is a boss fight. We we open the door to the next room of whatever the fuck we're in. <laughs> and what do we find there? So so we're in we're in right the the land of the 90s, okay? We've we fought through cake and we've taken down two princes but there is a queen who awaits okay and then she is the queen of the 90s it will never get brought down and her weapon is a single jagged little pill i'm talking alanis morissette's jagged little pill i feel a tech pull album of the 90s a i'm blanking on a word but uh, it's an extremely inspirational album, a, an album that kind of like shifted the tone of what I feel like women in the mainstream Canadian music. I don't know. But uh, I, I love Alanis Morissette. I think this album, it's another nostalgia one, but I think Full Hardly like, deserves the place of a boss fight and uh, quite possibly the greatest album ever. But Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, is the boss. I mean, it's going to be a tough one because she is God. She is. She is God. This is going to be hard to take down a God, but you know what? We could be Kratos. Who knows? <laughs> so I, I love Alanis Morissette, so this this will be an interesting one. Uh, I, greatest album ever? We'll find out. But really, really influential musician in my life? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's proven. So... As always, you can like, follow, subscribe to at IBTAP on social media. We are on Spotify. We are on iTunes. We are on whatever the hell else you use to listen, most likely. <laughs> so follow us there. Listen to our episodes. Give us feedback. I, I have a fan suggestion Ooh. that is is coming up that we'll have to pivot towards. Uh, I'm not going to uh, to mention the band, but we're going back to the 70s, maybe the 60s on this nice. one. Nice. So, uh, fan suggestion coming up after this boss fight, assuming we make it out alive. And you can also find our playlists on Spotify. You can find the IBTAP Chronicles and IBTAP Main Playlist. And there's also the Lyrical Breakdown. And if you've got a daughter that does dance, there's the Dance da- Dance Dad-approved no, a dad approved dance. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> Hang on, I gotta check. I'm not even gonna edit this. Because it is so long, I can't remember. It is the dad approved dance songs playlist. And this is because dance teachers, in my humble opinion, they don't know music at all. They, it's the same <laughs> fucking songs every year. So I go to these dance uh, recitals, competitions. I swear to God, the same 10 songs 90 times. It's ridiculous. So I have thrown some songs on here. Uh, none of them are above PG-13. You know, it's, if you got a teenager, PG-13 songs kind of work, you know, things about mm-hmm. love, you know, things about... But uh, but most of these are, are for the younger age. But they're bands that I like. I would listen to these. I'm just going to throw out a couple here. Someone Like You from Jekyll and Hyde, the musical, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the classic crime, we all look elsewhere. Revisited. <laughs> uh, the Deer Hunters on here, Safe Ferris, Suburban Legends, right. Ben Kaplan, Love You Moon, Eric Clapton, Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison. I mean, it might be the most inappropriate song on here, but Amy Winehouse, Some Unholy <laughs> War. <laughs> and, and many more. So uh, check that out if you have a daughter or a son in dance and you want a cool song. You know, go check out our playlist. I, I, I build it for my daughter, but y'all benefit. And with that, we'll do it all next time. See ya.